Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast. I'm here, and don't worry this time, I am not alone because I bring you a fit and healthy Matt Roberts. Hello, Matt. Hello. It's it's good to be back. Sorry for interrupting the programming. <laughs> Trust me, folks, it, uh, it, it enables us to be, bring you a bumper tennis podcast today. There is lots to cover. We might have had to spend 20 minutes on Casper Rude winning a clay court 250 had we recorded on Monday. We will be covering that, folks. Don't worry. It just might have its airtime squeezed ever so slightly by other events. And uh, the other reason that this is a bumper pod is because, bonus, David Law. Oh, I'm a bonus. Oh, I'm very, very <laughs> delighted to hear well, it. Well, you're, you're supposed <laughs> to be in, in Croatia, swanning around on a beach, aren't you? But by the magic of... Delaying the podcast by four days, you're here. Yes, and airplanes, which got me here into my Solihull mm. windowless room. Um, but uh, yes, no, uh, very happy to be back um, and uh, very happy most of all to see Matt looking well again. And hopefully that's the end of any uh, health related drama. Absolutely. we we We've... Being the medics that we are, we've identified that this was a hashtag athlete-related um, illness for Matt. He's just adjusting to athlete life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't have uh, I didn't have blacking out on my Easter bingo card. You're um, you're Holger Rune. You just need to figure out your hydration. Have the <laughs> um, have the pickle juice on standby Those at all sachets. times. Who was who was it during? Um, Miami, out Carlos Alcaraz. Even the famous Carlos Alcaraz struggles to hydrate appropriately. He's loving that. Anyway, right. (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Matt. A gift from me to you. Uh, No Carlos Alcaraz, of course, this week in Monte Carlo. We will be touching a little bit, seeing seeing as we have had five days of Monte Carlo under our belts at the time of recording. We'll touch a little bit on what we've seen. And by that, I mean, we'll we'll talk about Clay Court Medvedev because 
it is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, we'll, of course, wrap up what we were supposed to on Monday, look back on last week's events. But before all of that, um, a big breaking news story in the tennis world that needs to be covered front and centre. Uh, This from Russell Fuller's article on BBC Sport. The WTA has lifted its suspension of events in China and is returning this September. They've accepted that an investigation into the sexual assault allegations made by former player Peng Shui will not be carried out by the Chinese government and are returning to China this year with a very similar pre-pandemic calendar of events, including the continuation of the WTA finals in Shenzhen through 2031. Steve Simon told the BBC, We've been in this for 16 months and we are convinced that at this point our requests will not be met. To continue with the same strategy doesn't make sense and a different approach is needed. Hopefully by returning, more progress can be made. The decision means that the final two months of the WTA season will once again be dominated by China. Simon said the schedule will be very similar to the pre-pandemic year of 2019 when eight Chinese tournaments were staged in eight weeks from early September. And crucially, the season-ending WTA finals will resume its 10-year deal with the city of Shenzhen. Prize money this year, as it was in the first year of the contract in 2019, will be £11.2 million. Simon says the great majority of players are in support of a return to China. And despite promising a hardline stance with the Chinese government in which there would be no room for compromise, he says he is not considered resigning. Quote, no, I would never do that to an organisation. It's about leading an organisation and listening to its members. We have athletes that come from over 80 nations, so there's plenty of different opinions. But the majority of athletes were very supportive of a return back to the region. We certainly have some that were not, but the majority, the great majority, were in support and are in support of going back. There was strong support across the members, the player council and the board. Simon says that this change of heart was not forced upon them by commercial realities, but except members would have, quote, sacrificed a great deal had the WTA tour withdrawn from China for good. The WTA's boycott lasted just over 16 months, although no tournaments could have taken place in the country during that period anyway because of the COVID pandemic. Quote, we've achieved some assurances from people that are close to Peng that she's safe and living with her family in Beijing. Simon said when asked whether the WTA had achieved anything, he says he has not yet been able to speak personally with Peng. We do also have some assurances that there won't be any issues with our players and staff while they are competing in China. And hopefully we have received some respect for the stance we took. The ATP committed itself to 2023 events in Chengdu, Zhuhai, Shanghai and Beijing once China's COVID regulations eased. And the ITF said this month it is looking forward to bringing the World Tennis Tour back to China. Thoughts, feelings, reactions? David. Well, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this since uh, this uh, announcement was made and I've spent a couple of hours this morning reading and listening to what was said at the time of Peng Shui's disappearance and also at the time that Steve Simon announced that tournaments would be suspended and all business suspended in China from the WTA side. And 
I'll just read you a few of the things that I heard from Steve on CNN. You just heard what he said to Russell Fuller from the BBC, but this is what he was saying to CNN back in December in 2021, 16 months ago or just under. He said, there's too many times in this world when we get into issues like this, when we let business, politics and money dictate what's right and wrong. When you have a young person prepared to step up and make these allegations, knowing full well what the results of that are going to be, for us to not support that and demand justice as we go through it, well, we have to start making decisions that are based on right and wrong, period. We can't compromise that. We are definitely prepared to pull our business and deal with the complications that come with it, because this is bigger than the business. He later said, we, we said that if the Chinese authorities weren't prepared to treat these allegations seriously and we weren't able to have direct contact with Peng, we were prepared to pull all our business. We're going to suspend our events until such a time that they do the right thing. This is about the principles we stand for, the principles of women, and that trumps everything else. This is something we can't walk away from. If we walk away from this, we're basically telling the world that not addressing sexual assault with the seriousness it deserves and requires is okay because it's difficult to do. That's simply something we can't allow to happen and it's not something we stand for as an organisation. That's what he said to CNN back in, well, between November and December in 2021. Here we are in April 2023. No resolution has been reached, no success has really been had in achieving what he was saying that they were making the stand in order to achieve um it was a stand but it was a temporary stand in the end steve simon and the wta did walk away because it was difficult they have not suspended their events until china do the right thing they've returned they've returned because they weren't getting anywhere and it was frankly costing them too much um, and there was too much pressure for them to go back. In their words, praise alone isn't enough to bring about change, is what he said yesterday. Um, my conclusion is that to some degree, I'm, I'm glad they took a stand. I suspect shining the light on things the way they did and creating the noise that they did at the time may have improved things for Punk, at least temporarily, but I think they were naive. I think they were naive. He was naive, demanding as much as they did. And I, having listened to what I said back at the time on the podcast, when Steve uh, announced their measures, I feel naive because I believed what I was hearing. Um, I thought, I didn't think that China would, would acquiesce and that Steve and the WTA would would get them to, to do everything that he said that they needed to do in order for them to return to business in China. But I believed that they would stand their ground anyway. That was naive. I mean, he was he was unequivocal, though, in his words. He was emphatic, and I believed him. Um, many months on, I think, looking at it now, I, I find it pretty depressing, really, to to hear the manner in which he's just walked back on that yesterday um just accepted that they can't carry on like this and you know that they're not prepared to continue the position that they established for themselves um and you know if if i were him right now having uh, made this decision or 
whether whether he's made it or whether the board has 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 made it and he's had to go along with it i i would walk away if i were him i i don't i don't i think that's the only way you can walk away with the sort of credit that you 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 established in the first place uh, by making this stand and uh, and i think it's a really sad day matt well i think david said it extremely well uh, i don't i don't have too much to add to that um there's there's sort of part of me that that really thinks you know they did something wta and and that is better than nothing which is you know certainly what the atp did um but like david i i probably put put too much faith in them and and their word last year and this is this is a climb down um he steve simon said on on this podcast last year to you catherine we will continue to suspend our events until we get a resolution and he's talking there a resolution in terms of Peng Shui, and and there hasn't been one. There's this sort of thing in my mind about the fact that, yes, I know they paid a heavy price for the stand that they took financially, um, but it was also a time when they couldn't play in China. You know, it was the easiest time for them to take that stand, and now suddenly the opportunity is there to play again and and they've taken that opportunity so yeah I, I i guess i guess those are my thoughts i'm i'm pretty deflated by the news um and i think david's you know laid out perfectly why we're all sort of feeling like that i suppose yeah same deflated gutted really i feel absolutely gutted by it i, I think i feel slightly differently in terms of reflecting on how I felt at the time that the WTA took and announced this stance in that I, I, it never really occurred to me that the resolution would be the Chinese state backing down in any meaningful way. I mean, the WTA, in terms of impact they can have on the Chinese state and how they operate is, I mean, they're not even a minnow in the pond. The fact of which made their stance all the more impressive, I thought, that, you know, as much as as a negotiating position, Steve Simon had to say, we won't, we won't return to China until there's a resolution. I thought the subtext to that was, we are prepared to never return to China. We realise that that is the likely scenario because that that's how I felt about it. That I just didn't see any world in which the Chinese state are going to go, oh, the WTA aren't playing events in, in tennis events in in Shenzhen, we we must change our approach to human and women's rights. Just no that 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 was that was never a plausible scenario. So I thought the WTA had thought, experimented it through, and been prepared to never return to China, and maybe had costed that out. Now I'm sure there were um, practical consequences that they weren't able to factor in. I think they've been let down tremendously by the ATP not standing with them. And, you know, that that goes to tennis's fractured governance, which is 
somewhat of a recurring theme on this podcast that we don't need to go into. But as always, it makes any kind of stance harder. Um, and it is a tremend- it is and was a tremendous disappointment that the ATP didn't stand with them. And I, I feel with them on that. But this was never going to be easy. It was always going to incur significant financial costs, significant political cost. I thought that they were aware of all of that and prepared to take the stance anyway. Now, I know I know that the WTA are in fi- dire financial straits. You know, the, the deal they've done with, with CVC, that's not the ideal scenario for them. That's out of necessity. This has and is costing them. I know it has legal implications because they are under contract with, in particular, Shenzhen. That 10-year contract is extremely binding. Um, and of course, legal challenges come with their own financial costs. But <laughs> a moral stance isn't a moral stance if you if you bend to any of those factors. And I, there'll be a lot of whataboutery. You know, the WTA plays in the Middle East. It plays in Texas. It plays in plenty of other places with questionable women's rights records. Yes, everybody has to make their calls about which hills they die on you know we do it on this podcast the the hill that we die on is taking uh, money from gambling sponsorships we don't do it you know that is a red line for us elsewhere we go on a you know case by case basis the WTA chose Steve Simon chose his hill to die on and I respected that that was the the hill and I just This leaves me feeling utterly depressed, quite frankly, even in full knowledge of the of the practical challenges that Steve Simon would have faced for that stance over the last 16 months because those were always going to be faced. And maybe I'm, I'm slightly more glass half empty than you, Matt, in that I... I think there's a world in which it's actually worse that they took the stance and then backed down. Because what do, if you're a if you're a a victim of some sort of intimate partner abuse or rape or or something along those lines in China, and you've seen someone try to take a stance valiantly and in good faith, and I do think you know the stance was taken in good faith, naively but in good faith and just completely and utterly fail and capitulate. What does that tell you? Demoralising. <sighs> yeah, where do we go from where do we go from here? Will any will any players take a stance, do you think? Uh, the the pointing in the the statement the consistent pointing towards the the majority player um willingness and keenness to return to china i also find a bit disappointing because while they are to an extent a players union and again this points to the screwed up governance of the sport but while they are a players union in this sort of scenario a, the player's perspective is a is a pretty narrow one and yes they are entitled to a voice but i just don't think they sh- that should be given the weight that it has been in matters such as this um 
I don't know. Do you think? Do you think there will be any players that take a stance and refuse to return? I'd certainly like to ask a lot of players um, uh, their thoughts. I noticed that a couple of the people quoted in Russell's article were those at the Billie Jean King Cup this weekend in Coventry and Kjothvang, and uh, Katie Bolter on the British side, and Caroline Garcia on the French side. I found myself wanting to hear what Elise Cornet thought because she was the first player to draw attention to the disappearance of Peng Shui on social media, which really started the snowball effect of, of people talking about her disappearance. I'd like to know what she thinks, and, and I didn't read any quotes from her. Um, yeah, I when, I when I heard the way the tournaments are just back, and it's just an eight tournament run again, and it's it's as though this never happened. And uh, the the 10-year deal will now roll on to 2031. And it's it feels, I'm sorry, it feels like business as usual. We've heard these platitudes about we wanted to, we, we, we've had assurances that it'll be safe for players to go back to China. And okay, have you? Well, how can you be sure? How can you be? How can we be sure that you're sure and that that means anything? Because we were sure that you were going to stand firm <laughs> on this point of principle no matter what and that has been left looking pretty empty words um so you know i i I think that there will be players that that feel strongly enough whether they boycott is another matter it would be fascinating to find out but when you think of of the i know it's only the winner's prize money at shenzhen but it's what is it 4.2 million dollars you don't need four point two million dollars to win a tournament. You don't need it, and um, it, yeah, I'd I'd love to think that some of those top players would either not go or would feel un- you know would donate that prize money <laughs> to I don't know women's refuges in in China. <sighs> yeah, but I I, I don't know. I don't know. Look, we'll have to see, won't we? We'll have to see. I don't. I, I, where does the story go from here? I'm not. I'm not quite sure. It seems. It feels like there should be more. It feels like there. It can't just be okay. As you were resumed, forget it ever happened. It, it feels a little bit like that. It feels like I'm now going to move on to talk about Clay Court Medvedev. We're all going to enjoy that, and it'll just be like. Okay, when do we come back to talking about this? When's the next, you know, it it needs to stay on the agenda and you know, we'll we'll make efforts to to do that. It'll certainly be close to the top of our minds, but I can't believe that it's now just going to be right as you were pretend it's 2019 again. Um but seemingly that is where we are. So, Clay Court Medvedev <laughs> Um, (laughs) I know I know it was always going to be an uncomfortable segue David so I thought lean into it I agree with you (laughs) it's the only way um, it's like on uh, you know morning TV where you go from uh, you know your your political segment or your hard-hitting news segment and then you have to turn to the turn to camera four and go Coming up after the break, we're going to meet the world's bendiest woman. Stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, as we come to you. 
<laughs> it is quarterfinals day in Monte Carlo. I'm looking at my screen and Andre Rublev has just run around a backhand to hit a forehand winner down the line. He is 4-1 up against Jan Leonard Struff, who beat Casper Rude yesterday. So uh, quarterfinals coming up. Uh, we got Ru 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 Blev. I almost revived Casper Rude in the tournament there, but alas, no, Casper Rublev against Struff. Uh, that is followed by Taylor Fritz against Stefanos Sitsipas, uh, and then it's Medvedev against Runa, and then Musetti against Sinner. Um, and actually, before we come on to talk about Clay Court Medvedev, let's talk about Lorenzo Musetti who beat Novak Djokovic yesterday, did it the hard way, came back from losing a a heartbreaking first set, was toe-to-toe with Novak Djokovic. It was kind of one of those template sets of brilliant young player against Djokovic or other really top player, which is play brilliantly for a set, hang tough, hang tough, hang tough, serve to stay in it and Djokovic ups his level just that little bit, goes into lockdown mode, you start feeling the pressure, boom, sets over. Then he comes back, comes back, stays with it, withstands a rain delay. I thought the Musetti challenge was was over with that rain delay. Um, and I don't know, maybe I need to revise my fang assessment of Lorenzo Musetti. A little bit. I don't know. David's making it. David called this one quite early doors in the match. Um, just before David left us with a mic drop moment, he said, I've got to go and board the plane now. This was in the early stage of the, of the second set. David said, I've got to go board the plane now. I'm backing Mazzetti to come back and win. And then you, you made the point, David, that Djokovic does lose matches like this in Monte Carlo. And it doesn't, it's like his sort of getting gremlins out of the clay court system event, or certainly that's what it's become towards the, the latter stages of his career. But I don't know, there looked to be issues with the the elbow going on. It was a very grouchy Novak Djokovic, but it was also a very, very, very brilliant and dare I say fangy Lorenzo Musetti. Listen, I'll have to defer to you and Matt for what actually happened because I watched barely a point of it. It was just I was following what you two were saying about it and I was just thinking back to matches I've seen him play in Monte Carlo, losing to Alejandro Davidovich Fikina, Dan Evans, David Goffan, uh, Yuri Vesely. Vesely. And... Mm. and thinking back well yeah and what are the what are the common features of that the him looking grouchy the him looking not 100 percent fit because frankly he's not match fit yet he's and especially in the last two or three years where he hasn't played miami and indian wells he comes in completely undercooked and he's trying to get up to speed and he's not there yet and it also doesn't matter that much um relatively speaking to to Roland Garros which is the the end game to all this um and yeah i mean he's i do think i do think it's a factor that he's the age he is and there's probably a few more creaks when he's trying to get back up to speed from a standing start and and i would imagine actually that this elbow is probably that although the fact that he's had a serious problem in the past must make you at least keep an eye on that i think for the future but this felt very standard to me uh this is this is the best day of Lorenzo Massetti's career and it's just another day for Novak Djokovic to deal with on his way to bigger things, really. 
Matt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, that's... Well, that... Is it the best day of Lorenzo Mazzetti's career or was the best day of Lorenzo Mazzetti's career the day before when he beat his teenage countryman, uh, Luca Nardi, six love, six love, and celebrated like he'd won <laughs> seven six in the third over Nadal. <laughs> um, that was the moment where I was like, who is this guy? That's a flex. He let out this guttural roar, like you've beaten a child. <laughs> love, love and love. A child from your own country. Uh, love and love. And he sort of wailed that was in a, delight. That was it a was... sea, Catherine Whitaker. I do have fangs. It was... <laughs> love and love over it, my it countrymen. fangs. It was like dead-eyed assassin <laughs> vibes. It, uh, very bizarre. Yeah, I quite enjoyed that. I, I I saw him get quite a lot of criticism, but I mean, you always get criticism on on Twitter for whatever it seems. But I yeah, I quite enjoyed seeing that side of him, and that and that followed up a six love set that he'd put on uh, Ketsmanovic in in the round before as well. So he won three sets in a row six love in this tournament, and then came into this match against Djokovic. Look, I think generally I agree with David that this this doesn't mean that much for Djokovic in terms of, you know, his his bigger goals, certainly the the next one being Roland Garros. Um in fact probably his two most surprising losses in Monte Carlo came the two years he won Roland Garros, Vesely in twenty sixteen and, and Dan Evans in twenty twenty one. He always needs time to adapt on the clay. Um but he looked bad and his and his forehand which which you know we had Daniil Medvedev on the podcast over Indian Wells really sort of praising and saying has become one of the most dangerous shots in tennis was sort of all over the place yesterday and the elbow I think does does give a bit more cause for concern than normal um there was some there was some backstage images of of Novak Djokovic Monte Carlo's sort of gone all Australian open with their with their cameras everywhere backstage and during the rain delay you could see Djokovic sort of throwing a sort of weighted ball back and forth to his team and really grimacing while he was doing that um so I guess that's something something to watch throughout this clay court season I I do hope we're not going to have Alcaraz and Djokovic keep keep avoiding each other through various injuries you know I hope that hope that this isn't too serious and um you know and we see Djokovic at all the major events so if it doesn't mean that much for Djokovic I still think it's a big deal for Mazzetti as you said that that rain delay he had time to think about trying to finish that match off and all the scar tissue that he built up against Djokovic from not winning from two sets up at Roland Garros in the past, you know there was there was a lot that could have sort of malfunctioned then in that in that latter stage, and I was so impressed by by how well he came out playing after that rain delay. He he has the two things I think you really need, especially on clay, but generally to hurt top players, and that's variety and it's acceleration on his shots. You know he he can suddenly just inject pace. He's really bulked up in the last year and and his forehand is is a big big weapon especially when he's got time on the ball on clay so look I love watching Lorenzo Mazzetti play tennis there's something you know we should talk about it with Alcaraz it's amazing to watch someone have so many shots at his disposal and know how to use them I think Mazzetti's more 
normal in that he's got so many shots and we're and we're learning with him as he figures out how to use them all and he he doesn't always get it right but it's always great to watch and uh, he'd had he'd had such a terrible year so far barely winning matches let alone doing something like this and you know tennis can can sometimes just just work like that and you know he's now got a an all italian quarter final against sinner and the atmosphere for that should be electric because there's always so many so many italians in monte carlo and i think i think that sort of helped him a little bit yesterday against against Djokovic as well yeah it it, it i'm wary of making this comparison because it i don't i'm worried it's sort of lazy oh they've both got a single-handed backhand um but that it's dominic team like to me that sort of ability to hit big from deep on clay being the sort of the magic weapon particularly against Djokovic and that requires so much strength and it's clear you know I I I said yesterday it I know he did a lot of bulking up um particularly in his upper body what about 18 months ago would it have been yes Billie Jean um and we wondered perhaps if that actually was affecting his his play because he 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 really stuttered in his form after that. It was like he was trying to adjust to a new body and a new sort of set of balance, I, I suppose. Set of balance, that doesn't make any sense. I think you know what I mean. Um, but I looked at him yesterday and his legs suddenly looked like tree trunks. And it looked to me, honestly, like he'd phoned, gone to a fitness trainer, showed up in a gym, gone to a fitness trainer with a picture of... Carlos Alcaraz and said, I'll have that, please. Do make me that. (laughs) And, okay, I am joking, but I do just wonder, you know, Carlos Alcaraz lighting a fire under these guys. Runa had the fire anyway, but someone like Lorenzo Mazzetti in the same age bracket, that bit older, maybe he, you know, until Carlos Alcaraz started Alcarazing, he was being talked about as, you know, an anointed sort of only a matter of time before you start winning stuff and having the the baton passed to you. Um, and, you know, maybe players can be comfortable in that, comfortable in knowing, in, you know, everybody knowing how talented they are and feeling like, it's only a matter of time. It is going to happen. Everybody's telling me it's going to happen. I'll just keep being me and it'll eventually happen. Um, but Alcaraz is sort of short-circuited all of that, hasn't he? And um, yeah, to say he's, he's been ahead of the curve would be a tremendous understatement. But I don't know. It is interesting I, though, I, Catherine, that he's he's put all this work in and he has been rubbish this year. I mean, he. I, I'm I the don't. One... I mean, I don't think he can play on anything other than clay. So, I mean, this is, I, there's I, a that massive is a problem. I think we need a, to enjoy. There is but a he was even difference. bad on clay. He was year, even bad like in, in South America. South America. America. He couldn't win a match. Oh yes, you predict. Didn't you predicted it? You predicted him to win a tournament, and he lost to someone we'd never heard of in. Well, the I mean, first I, round. I, I, I have gone big on the fact that Lorenzo Mazzetti is going to have a big year <laughs> at the start of this year and I mean I'd honestly I'd written yeah, that David off. needs him to win Monte Carlo I need him to win Roland Garros to get any sort of <laughs> kind of credibility back in the bank for me um but I mean I, I I'm like you I love watching him play he should he's got everything for clay court tennis he's got he's got the power of 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 kind of like 
almost like team, but he's got that kind of clay court artistry of of Sitsipas as well. He really has got it all for for clay court tennis, but he's been so bad this year that I thought maybe maybe he's just never going to get this right. And so this is a huge shot in the arm for him. Yeah, I do. I'm so here for the Alcaraz, Sinner, Runa, Musetti quadfecta. Again, not a word. Not covering myself in glory uh, vocabulary-wise today, am I? But, yeah, little little, uh, the new big four. (laughs) There we go. Mazzetti's loving that. Look, it's 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 early doors. That's not a prediction. It's just a single an early trademark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Well, anyway, he'll play Yannick Sinner later on today in soon to be out of date tennis news. Um, Holger Rune uh, will play Daniel Medvedev very much here for that match. Rune getting through as a result of cursed. Matteo Berrettini it's time to put the seal I think on Matteo Berrettini being a cursed player I know you don't believe in cursed players David but come on well I've got to go so I'll leave you to talk about cursed Matteo Berrettini (laughs) (laughs) and I can't I can't tell anybody any different (laughs) off you go David Matt he's a cursed player isn't he signed and sealed I mean for me, that was signed and sealed a year ago. I, th- I think it's only it's only David who still needs uh, still needs convincing. Yeah, he he he'd won this this epic match against Francisco Sarundolo, and it, it was five love up in the first set, Berrettini, and lost the set. He, he had an absolutely disastrous time for seven games, and yet still managed to overcome that and win. And I thought. You know that was that was the moment that that this that this season needed for him, and then he's injured yeah. and can't play his next match. I mean, cursed player. I really feel for him. And abdo- ab- abdominal tear. Um, it, it's a a part of the body that he's experienced recurrent injuries in, which is always a red flag. And B, there've been a lot of abdominal injuries recently, aren't there? So we kind of know the the playbook on them in terms of recovery and it's it's re- they're really hard to fully get over they they hang around and they're very hard to train around i think because they're literally in the middle of your body um so uh, this it's a massive worry for me i guess his target now will be getting fit for the the grass court season so he can contract some sort of virus on the eve of wimbledon <laughs> um and further the curse, but yeah, my, my heart goes out to him. It's um, it's tough for Matteo Berrettini, but it does mean we get Runa Medvedev. And look, I'm here at the moment, Matt, for watching clay court Medvedev against anyone. I would watch him hit against a wall <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but even better than that, watching him play Holger Runa. I really hope he said "yar" in my face. Holger Runa shows up. <laughs> um, because that Runa against this Medvedev that we've been seeing in Monte Carlo this week is just a dreamy prospect. Oh, it's it's clear your day stuff, isn't it? Because the the I mean, honestly, as you said, Medvedev could play anyone at the moment. I, I found 
I found his match yesterday against Zverev just so entertaining. There's There's been just something so funny about Medvedev and yet also really good like he's he's perfectly capable of playing really really well on on clay uh you know he's beaten Novak Djokovic on clay before I think he's got a winning record against top 20 players on clay I, I think this I think this whole I can't play on clay thing might be his his biggest troll yet like of course it doesn't it doesn't suit his game as well as other surfaces but he's He's perfectly capable on it. I, th- I think I did see some maybe little adjustments in his game. It felt to me like he was trying to get a bit more shape, a bit more spin on his forehand. He was certainly getting a lot more width on his shots. He was using the drop shot a lot. These are all good clay court things. Um, and on top of that, just immensely entertaining as well because he gave a quote after winning his first round match against uh, Sonigo, another really good win. You know, Sonigo is a very good clay court player where he said, on clay, there are no good bounces. Even when it's a good bounce, you're expecting a bad bounce. <laughs> so it's like a good bounce is actually a bad bounce. Actually a bad bounce because oh. it, it still catches you by surprise. And, and, and there was this very good sort of <laughs> choose your fighter sort of energy, I felt, because I think Sitsipas had just played and was talking about how clay is like this this canvas that you can paint pictures on and it's and it's the most pure form of tennis and then Medvedev comes out with with his quotes and you know it's just <laughs> just sort of perfectly describing both of their personalities yeah and and yesterday the I mean this Zverev match was the, it had everything two match points saved it was played um it was uh, the the schedule had been heavily rain delayed earlier on in the day, so this was played late. It had passed me by a bit that Monte Carlo now uses its floodlights and it plays essentially night sessions, a bit like Wimbledon. It doesn't schedule night sessions, but it's prepared to go into the night. I've covered Monte Carlo a couple of times, and there were uh, on, on site. I mean, and and there were frequently, um, you know a la Roland Garros matches that were carried over to the next day due to poor light. Um, but I was very glad last night that that the floodlights did come into play. Um, Zitzabas, meanwhile, was beating Nicholas Jarry and writing what on the camera? Something about a unicorn and a skateboard. <laughs> he wrote, right? uh, clay court in the US is like a unicorn on a skateboard. When did he play on a clay court in the US? He didn't play Houston, did he? No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> have we have we put that into Google to find out if it's plagiarized from somewhere? Well, that's it. I think this was an occasion where he he panicked and had to use his own words <laughs> and that's what he came out with. <laughs> And that's what happened. I don't, I'm not sure he's ever played on a US clay court. Very confusing. Right. Very confusing. Back to clay court Medvedev. The match <laughs> against Verov, two match points saved. Um, sort of an edge of aggro all the way through that was really solidified by the handshake, which was 
He just doesn't let you down on that front, Medvedev. You're, you're looking for the handshake, you're waiting for it. And sometimes in those scenarios, you're so disappointed when it's amicable. But this one was, it was absolutely glorious. No eye contact. It was actually Zverev that made it as as eggy as it was. Oh, yeah. It was it was cold, as, uh, as Medvedev wrote on the camera afterwards, to, I think, describe the weather, but also very apt for for describing the handshake as well as you said Zverev didn't look at him and Zverev was really annoyed by Medvedev during that match uh, I think two two things in particular and it was it was Medvedev's behavior as soon as Zverev went up a break he felt like Medvedev was doing things to disrupt him and in, in the second set that was Medvedev like sort of took the net pole away uh, after he'd lost serve and, you know, to sort of j- jokingly sort of lower the net maybe because I think he'd just hit a double fault. Um, and the umpire didn't didn't warn Medvedev for that. And then when Medvedev uh, went down a break in the third set, he uh, he ran off court and, and went to the toilet, showing great variety. That is a man who can, who can pee slow when he needs to or pee fast when he needs to. And... Um, and uh, and that really annoyed Zverev as well. And it worked for Medvedev because both times, yes, he was down a break, but he, but he turned it round. And, and Zverev had some, had some very strong words to say afterwards. Yes, some quotes here translated by uh, the German journalist Yannick Schneider um, from Zverev speaking to, you, uh, speaking to Sky Germany after the loss. He said, he is one of the most unfair players in the world. I take fair play and sportsmanship very serious. He does not. He takes a toilet break when it's not possible anymore. There are 1,000 situations in which he feels that I start to play better and in which he tries to do something every time. I'm extremely disappointed from him as an athlete. Of course, you can argue that it is not good form from me that I get distracted. This should not happen to me and it's totally my fault. And it really was bad from my side, but I still feel fair play should always be part of sports. Um, tough for him to have a leg to stand on with his track record of aggressively intimidating umpires. Um, and that's probably an understatement um, on what happened in, in Acapulco. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure anybody considers Zverev sort of the the gatekeeper of sportsmanship in tennis but look he probably has a point about toilet breaks and stuff it probably is a bit out of order we we cut Medvedev a lot of slack don't we on that kind of Mm. stuff because we feel like it comes from (laughs) comes from a good place um but yeah there's I'm sure I would be immensely peeved if I were playing against him but I don't know the fact that he knows it's peeving his opponent so much probably makes it more you know you're you're giving him the gift of being peeved aren't you um and i don't think you're ever going to win that kind of psychological battle against against clay court medvedev who said in his interview after the match uh yeah he served for it twice and probably should have won no he said <laughs> probably should have done, done better, better. <laughs> oh so great <laughs> so great um yeah now we get medvedev Rina, which is a massive yes please ready to pop the question 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Um, Let's talk about what we should have talked about on Monday, Matt, and wrap up last week. I said in my little two-minute monologue pod uh, that all you needed to know about tennis last week, if you were going to uh, watch or look at just one thing to summarise the week in tennis, it would be the Angebeur front-on tweener in the Charleston final, which she went on to win against Belinda Bencic. The front-on tweener was obviously the cherry on the cake, but it was a fantastic final wasn't it that's just a great matchup between those two oh yeah just just a brilliant match actually a repeat of the charleston final last year which was also excellent when when benchik managed to win so a little bit of revenge for jabur and gosh i mean the shot making from both players was was extraordinary i sort of lost count of the of the number of set points that they each saved in in that first set, and I really do mean saved. I mean Benchich hit hit a um, backhand list worthy shot up the line to save one of the set points. Jabur sort of responded with a forehand up the line to save one of the set points, and and honestly that 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 tweener which came a bit earlier in the set was a big turning point because up because up to that point Benchich was was winning and that tweener and what I particularly loved actually was the was the composure after it to then hit the slice passing shot you know it must be very easy to to hit a tweener and then sort of suddenly think oh well just, I've I've peaked in that rally or just stand and admire it for yeah. sort of 10 minutes <laughs> the thought of having to it's 
it's insulting <laughs> to be required to hit another shot mm. afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yet she hit the sort of opposite shot, you know, a sort of really smart, clever slice cross court passing shot to get the break and then after that it was just a just a shot making um masterclass really and I was I was taken aback I suppose by how by how good Jabur looked because you know she really hadn't looked great over the um over the sunshine double she looked bad worryingly bad I was pretty worried for her Mm. after the losses in in both those events I assumed Either she wasn't fit yet or she was, I don't know, so so dented by that injury in terms of momentum and form and confidence that it was going to be a long road back. Um, yeah, really came out of nowhere for me, this, this run. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think she said that she wasn't in danger in, in Indian Wales and Miami of making the, the injury worse. She just felt like... She needed to get back on court. You know, she'd missed a lot of a lot of big events, especially for her. You know, events in the Middle East, um, and and yet still, I was I was surprised by how good she looked in Charleston so quickly. Didn't lose a set. Also had a had a great shot making match against uh, Kasatkina in the semi final. Um, and yeah, I was just just reminded of how good she can be, especially on clay. You know, this was her. This was her fourth title overall, I think, and they've all come on either clay or grass. You know, I think we've sort of got a lot of players who seem like hardcore specialists over the last few years. You know, Medvedev we talk about, Naomi Osaka was, is, I'm going to use, I'm going to use the present tense, is very much a hardcore specialist. Um, but Ons Jabeur is, is someone who has really thrived on, on the sort of natural surfaces. And I just just think this final showed why you know she can she can hit winners from kind of anywhere she can she can surprise you she can inject variety into rally she's got great hand skills and I just think having her back in the mix during the clay court swing just adds to what's already been a compelling WTA season you know I think we're all wondering how Sabalenka and Rabatkina will do on the clay we all expect Fiontech to be brilliant but this was just a sort of little hand up, I think, from Ons Jabeur. Like, you know, don't forget about me. I, I reached two slam finals last year. And I think I mentioned that, that Charleston final last year against Bengtschik. Jabeur's a, a better, more experienced player now a year on. You know, she's had a lot more tennis experiences. And I think I would expect Jabeur to step up in maybe the bigger matches compared to Bengtschik now. And... Um, she she certainly did that here. So I thought it was it was a really great final and and capped off a really great week for Jabur and an and an, an, and an exciting uh, story for the WTA to have for this clay court swing is on Jabur being being back. Yeah, completely agree. And no points to defend in at Roland Garros, of course. I mean, big points to defend before Roland Garros, but you know, just as she didn't play the Australian Open last year so there was there was nothing lost for her there it's it, it's amazing she, she got her ranking to where she did with not playing australia last year uh losing first round of the french getting no ranking points for wimbledon mm. i mean it shows you shows you how good how good she's been consistently in in the last 12 months and it kind of all started with that run to the 
the Charleston final last year. That's where I think of her real role starting. So if this is the start of her 2023 role and, you know, she's won Charleston this time, that's mm. that's really exciting stuff, exactly as you say, not just for Franz Jabeur, but for but for tennis. Um, the WTA was also in Bogota last week. That title was won by Tatiana Maria. She beat Peyton Stearns in the final. Um, Peyton Stearns came to my attention in Indian, in, Indian, in, 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 in Indian Wells, where she lost out in three sets to Bianca Andrescu in the opening round. She was a wild card, I think, NCAA champion, Peyton Stearns, I think. And yeah, maybe a name that's gonna gonna keep popping up. She's she's got good intensity. She's a real as is quite often the case with people that have cut their teeth in college tennis, she's she's a bit of a street fighter, you know, a good watch, I think. Um but Tatiana Maria, uh experienced, loves a, again, an, a natural surfaces kind of gal. Mm. I'd forgotten about that turn of phrase. Thank you for reminding me of it. You're welcome. <laughs> it's it, it's it's just quite handy for grouping grass and clay together, even though they're probably the most, you know, opposite surfaces, I suppose. But I, mm. I, I, st- I still think some of the skills can be transferable. And I think um, Tatiana Maria might be a Bogota specialist. Because I, th- I think she won that title last year as well. Like, um, do you remember yeah. Victor Estrella Burgos? <laughs> I, being I knew, a I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> did you know? It's the most, it's yeah. the most niche reference I have. <laughs> did he win it um, three years in a row? Three times, yeah. <laughs> He's probably still just playing in Quito week after week. <laughs> um, Fran Jones reached the semis in Bogota, which is. Um, a cool story. I'm so here for her doing well. Um, I've worked with her a little bit personally and she's just, she's super cool. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to follow her progress closely because I hope she can, she can keep up that kind of form and start being a factor more consistently. Um, the ATP were in three different places last week, all of them 250 events. Casper Rude, uh, beat Mirmir Ketsmanovic 6-2-7-6 to win the title in Estoril. My favourite thing about this, Matt, was the the rude Ketsmanovic backstory. The 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 pictures of them going back to junior days. And um, I think it was Tennis TV put out a little vi- videos of their friendship. And I, I enjoyed it very much. It was very sweet. Don't you think? Absolutely. I just don't think that was your favourite thing about it. I think that was the predictions points that you oh, got. The, well, the points, the points, the points. <laughs> yes, my kingdom for the points. Um, but, 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 the, but the lovely friendship story was a... I, I didn't know about that. I'm usually really into... I feel like I'm pretty across, mm. you know, player, heartfelt player friendships that go back to junior days. And I wasn't aware of this one. It goes back to Kasparud's blonde days. Mm. Who did you know about those days? I, th- I, I think, think I'd I, seen I a photo before. I don't think of him as a crazy hair guy. Oh no! It's like you know, if it if it turned out he had a tattoo, I would be. That would take some <laughs> getting over. Mm. 
maybe no, he doesn't have a tattoo. Come no, on. I don't think so. And and I think I think the way that I think about this title for Casper Rude has probably changed in the last four or five days. I think I think my takes on Monday would have been different to what they are now, actually, because I think it would have been easy to just think, oh, it's Casper Rude winning a clay court he, he, 250. He's back. he's back. He's turning in to Richard Gasquet. He's just cleaning up at the 250s. <laughs> this is what he does. You know, and I, I did, you know, there was part of me that thought maybe that was a bit different to his other 250s in that he really needed this. Like he hadn't been playing good tennis at all. He, he took a while to get going in Estoril, but eventually he played he played pretty well. But then seeing him this week in Monte Carlo, he got he got quite a good win against Bortic van der Zanskulp, who has had his number, has beaten him on on clay in a slam in a in a Masters event. You know, he's sort of ticked all the boxes against Kasparu before, so he did quite well to win that. He just wasn't playing well, and then to see him yesterday, I think it was against Jan Lennel Struff, he looked. All at sea, really. I mean, Struff just completely dominated him in a, in a way that he can. He can be brilliant, Struff, and overpower pretty much anyone. But Rude is is still searching and looks really frustrated on court, looking over to his box a lot. Cannot hit his forehand the way he wants to. He he's definitely not back. You know, this is definitely not Casper Rude just suddenly being really you know like a top five player again. Uh, I still think he's he's really struggling and, you know, sort of credit to him that he managed to win that title in Estoril, but it feels like he's still got a long way to go in terms of trying to reach the level he was at consistently last season. I um, I asked my dad at the weekend uh, if he enjoyed... I'm always interested in who, who my dad enjoys watching, um, both my parents actually, because it's quite often different to who I enjoy watching. So I said, do you enjoy watching Casper Rude? And he, he thought about it for me. He said, yes, I do. And then he paused again. He went, he's just so desperate. <laughs> that is a perfect description of what his facial expression is at the moment. Yeah. He's... Yeah, he is. And I suppose that is quite compelling. But yeah. Um, <laughs> in Houston, where confirmed Stefan Osipapas was not playing, um, Francis Tiafo won the title. He beat um, Martin Echeverri. Is that, does he have a second first name? I feel like it's not just Martin Echeverri. <laughs> Thomas There's another Martin. name, isn't there? Thomas Martin Echeverri. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, he beat Thomas Martin Echeverri, 7-6, 7-6 in the final. Um, good title for Tiafo. Uh, unfortunately, the story of the week in Houston was was the rain. I mean, they just... They had an absolute shocker. If you think Augusta was bad for the Masters, they were sort of... I don't don't know how close Houston and Augusta are, probably not close at all, but Augusta were getting, you know, a snippet of what Houston were having. At one point I thought, maybe they'll just cool this whole thing off. I have no idea how they finished on time. It, it, It made me think... Do tennis tournaments need to be a week? Are we just are we just faffing around? I mean, honestly, Tiafo won that event in two days. He played all of his matches on the weekend. They they started the first round and they were still playing the first round five days later. 
you know, every day was just absolutely decimated by rain. They didn't, yeah, they didn't finish the first round until Friday. And that was the only match they managed to play on that day. And then they played all of the last 16 quarterfinals, semifinals and final over the weekend. Kind of extraordinary that they did manage to finish. I felt, um, I felt sorry for Tommy Paul, who withdrew from Monte Carlo sort of while this rain was happening, I guess expecting to be there right to the end, expecting a huge backlog. And he lost his opening match in, in Houston and might have been able to make it to Monte Carlo after all. I don't know. Um, Francis Tiafo ended up withdrawing from Monte Carlo as well. Just, just really, really tough for them. But I was pleased that they got a great final. And, and it was mm. by all accounts because... We watched Echeverry, didn't we, against uh, Murray in in Indian Wells, and we sort of concluded bit of a ball machine. L- lovely player uh, cannot hit a winner, like lovely strokes, but uh, it reminded me of that traumatic experience of watching um, Kane Shikori against um, Republic Renny Buster at the Australian Open, where it was like just nobody wanted to hit a winner like what what is this have you forgotten Mm. the rules of tennis um it it brought back that trauma for me and and Mary Echeverry didn't even get to finish with someone throwing their court uh throwing their bag across the court (laughs) spectacularly in in rage um (laughs) but you know I think the point I suppose is that Echeverry sort of turned out to be the perfect opponent to provide Tiafo the platform to be mm. the best version of Tiafo because it was it was showman Tiafo it was like he knew that they'd had a a really horrible week of weather and he needed to do something you know extravagant and brilliant and he and he absolutely did that you know there were moments where he was hitting winners and then immediately sprinting to the chair as he does and and just just generally it was a sort of great you know, kind of like the Charleston final, just so much great shot making from from Tiafo, and um, you know he sort of he sort of needed that. This was his first title since February 2018. You know, we think of what a good player Tiafo has become, and yet he hasn't been able to finish tournaments off. It's very saccharine, isn't it? Right. He he lost a few finals in mm. Tokyo, Vienna, Estoril, and this was his first time being the top seed. I think at an event. And you know he wow. sort of he sort of stepped up and and really delivered, and I think it's it's another sort of notch on on his progress, I suppose. So yeah, great to see. In Marrakesh, ATP two fifty event, there won by Roberto Cabellas Baina, uh, his second career title, beat Alexandra Muller four six seven six six two in the final there. Um, just before we leave you, a um, few other bits and bobs of news from the past week. Uh, Dominic Team and Nicholas Massou have split. Um, and uh, subsequent to that, in the last few days, we've had a sort of a glimmer of hope for, for Dominic Team in, in Monte Carlo and then that being rather snuffed out. Um, look, I'm just so thirsting for any signs of hope for the Dominic team comeback that I I see them where there are you know I I hallucinate those signs of hope so I'm I'm an unreliable judge when it when it comes to Dominic team at the moment but the 
the Matthews split worries me a lot about the potential for team to call it a day on his career because I think it was pretty notable that that Masu was still there through everything um that was a sign of intent um and I don't know I don't know the reasons that have been given behind this but I'm not sure any sort of specifics have been given but it feels like a potential tying up loose ends type thing I don't know I desperately hope not but you you remarked on it in India Miles, didn't we, when we were sat there watching team, hopefully you said Masu's still there giving it the positive energy and that, that has to mean something. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's been one of the most consequential player-coach relationships of the last few years, really, but both in terms of the impact that Masu had on, on team or seemingly had on, on team, turning him you know, into someone who contended with the big three and won a Grand Slam title and really developed into a great hard court player as well as a clay court player. You know, there were very tangible things that you felt like Masu was was bringing to team on court. And also from a just relationship point of view, the fact that Masu had, had stuck by him through all these all these difficulties, it made you sort of believe in player coach relationships in a in a world where sometimes they can you know they can be very choppy and they can change very quickly that that they really did stick together through through thick and thin so I was I was pretty sad to see that that it had ended I did read a one quote from team saying that it was it was mutual you know it was kind of like team went to have the conversation and, and Masu said if he hadn't done it I would have I would have said it as well. It just just feel like it had it, it had sort of run out of time really. Um and yet like you, I'm desperately searching for signs of hope with Dominic team and there have been little flickers. You know, he has he has hit his forehand a lot he better. Has- in the last he's, couple he's of matches, he's beaten Richard Gasquet. Matt, <laughs> that, that, uh, that convi- he's back. He's beaten Richard Gasquet in the year twenty twenty three. He's he's back. He's and, gonna he's gonna reach the French Open final. And, and, and he'd beat uh, Ben Shelton, who had never stepped on a clay court mm. until like two weeks ago. And I was like, oh, that's that's a good Big. win. Um, and I thought, <laughs> honestly, even even when he lost to Runa, I thought he still showed some some better signs it's just how much longer can you put up with signs you know and eventually Mm. it it does have to come together so yeah and I do worry about you know he needed that positivity from Mm. the massive but the the box it it radiated positivity that box didn't it I mean I feel like he's always needed that even when the going was good for Dominic team that positive energy was important to him and now when the the going is so far from good and you can see him just getting down on himself and just that depressing look of why mm. why can't I do it anymore that that positivity felt e- even more crucial and and now it's gone and maybe it'll be replaced but maybe it's irreplaceable or maybe he doesn't want to try and replace it I don't know um Holger Rune and Patrick Moratoglu seem to have split up and got back together. Um, 
honestly, absolutely, this is one of the, these like tennis players doing Instagram posts that uh, I don't know what, what has happened. Yeah, I saw um, Felix Auger-Aliassime's Instagram story. It was just him and his girlfriend walking their dog. And I thought, that is what tennis player social media is, stuff. is for. Yeah. Um, whereas this was very confusing. I mean, I think they were never like officially it really long It was never official, long-term. he is my coach, right? right. I think it, it was... was just, you know... I've used the Moratoglu Academy. Moratoglu is free. Let's let's yeah. work together for a few months. And <laughs> I thought those months had just ended. Fine. No drama. And then Runa's first match, Patrick Moratoglu is sitting there coaching him and, and putting up a social media post like, hey, I'm, I'm back. Um, I, I honestly don't really know. Mm. It had a very Sabalenka Tursen of Instagram post about trips to the hospital energy about it. Uh, speaking of Tursunov, he and Belinda Bencic have split. That news came out before Charleston and Bencic's run to the final in Charleston. Uh, Conchita Martinez and Garbini Muguruza have also split and that news comes on the heel of uh, Muguruza Extending her break away from tennis, we for a while weren't sure whether it was sort of an official break or whether her her ranking, which is now outside the world's top 100, had, had sunk to the point where she would need to be either taking wildcards or playing qualies or playing, you know, ITF events. And she wasn't inclined to do that. But um, she did put out a statement again on Instagram this week, a rather more clear one, saying she yeah, is officially taking a break from tennis and she's going to be extending that throughout the clay and grass season, which is, I don't know. If we never see her play tennis again, it wouldn't surprise me. If she comes back and starts winning stuff, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, But yeah, another extremely consequential and successful coaching partnership come to an end. Um, And I hope we see... Martinez coaching someone again because she's a a successful, strong, powerful female coach and we need them in the game. So I hope she gets snapped up. Uh, and last bit of coaching news is that Caroline Garcia, Caroline Garcia, is back with Bertrand Perret, um, which makes total sense to me. <laughs> when they teamed up last year, she had the best results of her career and seemed to be doing it consistently for the first time she became reliably extremely good um and it was always a bit unfathomable that they split um all we knew about it at the time is that it it wasn't Garcia's decision I believe that was the the official word on it um and it it makes total sense to me that she would she would want to get that band back together yeah, absolutely. And, and and the timing of it was so weird, wasn't it? Just right on the eve of the of the WTA finals last year. Um yeah, it it seemed like Pere was someone who convinced Garcia of 
of the right approach and she had no doubts about how she should play her tennis in those in those six months and maybe has has lost a bit of that in in the last uh few months since the split and yeah if we get if we get Caroline Garcia back from the back half of of last season that would be that would be another great add to this already intriguing WTA season yeah hear hear uh, so that's it for your coaching news in soon to be added eight tennis news. Rublev is a setup and three all in the second against Jan Leonard Struff in the first of the four Monte Carlo quarterfinals. In women's tennis, there are Billie Jean King Cup uh, qualifier ties this weekend, which we'll obviously cover for you on Monday's pod. Uh, so you only have three days to wait until the next pod. That pod, just like this one, uh, is sponsored by On Location, the premium hospitality and experience provider. Uh, this weekend, they organise packages to the Marcel's Masters Golf uh, and WrestleMania. Two different vibes there. They, some, something for everyone. <laughs> I know which one of those I'd have rather gone to, but look... Everything has its place. Uh, and in tennis, they'll be, uh, pro- they are providing experiences with Steve Fogel's international tennis tours to Roland Garros, Wimbledon, and the US and Australian Opens, as well as Labour Cup, which is in Vancouver this year, Madrid, Indian Wells, Miami. Um, they've got everything. So check out what they have to offer by going to www.toursfortennis.com. Tours, the number four, tennis.com. Um, a heads up for friends of the pod or people that have been thinking about becoming friends of the pod or meaning to become friends of the pod. Uh, we have two Tennis Relived episodes soon to be recorded that will be coming your way very soon. The first of them is about the life and times and impact of Nick Bolicieri, who the tennis world lost earlier this year. We've been gathering material for that one for for quite a while spoke to to Jim Curry about him um in in Australia when we did that um episode with Jim Curry and we're speaking to various other people as well it is going to be a cracker of an episode um and hopefully a fitting tribute to to someone that contributed so much to the sport throughout his life and the second friends relived episode that we'll be recording is about Drumroll, please. The movement, mm. which which is basically the life and times of David Law. Mm. Which honestly Great. can't wait. Mm. Uh, yeah, two different flavors. <laughs> the tennis relived. I think they're both going to be crackers. Um, so, if you would like to listen to those when they come out over the next few weeks, become a friend of the pod. The link. Uh, to do that is in our show notes as always we have an episode mascot and it is ralph ralph is owned by suzanne vigona vigona i hope i haven't butchered that name because it sounds like an absolutely lovely name vigona i think that's what i'm going with ralph is a rescue dog um black lab mix yeah he looks like a black lab mix oh he's got that labby face 
and those those labradory soulful eyes he loves to watch us cook and stares intently at the floor waiting for something tasty to fall yep that's a labrador <laughs> he was recently diagnosed with cushing's disease uh, so he's not as frisky as he used to be but he's still always up for a nice walk or adventure um he's lovely he's got that slightly um graying muzzle which um my beloved labrador bella uh had in 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 the in her latter years as she became a distinguished elder dog um so ralph is an absolute beauty thank you suzanne for bringing him into our lives we have our mascots david has Maisie, <laughs> i've got xenia and matt has Darwin, Billie Jean, uh, who made her feelings felt a little earlier in this pod, is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our top folks and executive producers, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And shall we do shout outs or shall we wait till Monday when David's back? Shall we wait? Let's save them. Let's let's keep I think people, people like hanging. the I think people like both of your reactions to the shout outs. Okay. Noted. <laughs> Noted. Um, yeah, little teaser for you. Tune in on Monday when we'll be back uh, with tennis and with uh, a bumper crop of shout outs. So thank you once again for bearing with us this week when we were unable to record on Monday. We hope that this was worth waiting for. Thanks as ever for listening to Friends of the Pod for supporting the show. If you'd like to become a friend, then head to our show notes and follow the link. And we'll speak to you on Monday. Thank you.